Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The Bob Seska Show. Bob Seska. The Bob Seska Show. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, October 19, 2022, and this is the Bob Seska interview on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Bob. Hello, Bob. Hi, day 638 of the Biden-Harris administration, 19 days until the 22 midterms. I'm on Instagram. My handle is the Bob Seska. Twitter, Bob Seska underscore go, and our Patreon page is bobseskashow.com. All right, I'm going to keep this super short because today's a really long show in the best ways possible, I assure you. Uh, my good friend Travis Bone from The Stephanie Miller Show returns for an extended conversation about the latest comic book movies and shows, everything from Marvel to DC to Star Wars, plus Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, some Game of Thrones in there too. Links in the description to follow Travis on social media. Meantime, please help support this show by subscribing to our bonus content at bobseskashow.com. Okay, time for a nerdgasm with me and Travis. More fun, more music, the Bob Seska Show. Well, we're going to dig into all of this uh, nerd stuff here in a second. But before we do, I I just have to ask you how you're feeling about the midterms at this point. Are you feeling optimistic, skeptical, terrified? Any one of those things? Uh, Yes, to all of those things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How's that for an answer? No, you know what? Um, You know, that's me. I'm always optimistic about stuff. Mm -hmm. I try try to find the glass half full. I don't trust anything that we're seeing in polls right now because polls don't track new voters. Yeah. Polls aren't tracking... You know, like the, it's like who picks up a telephone and answers a poll question? I certainly don't. <laughs> Neither do I. I don't and there know are who lots does. of lots and lots of calls. I've been getting calls. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe a dozen um, a day. I feel. I still feel like we're going to at least hold on to the Senate, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful for the House. Um, the gerrymandering makes the House hard. Yeah, but um, I don't think any of us can calculate what the row vote is going to be. Yeah, exactly. And also, everyone talks about this like. You know, the party that's in power mm-hmm. um, usually loses seats. We haven't had a party in power with a defunct president still out there who is problematic for his own party. Right. Who's involved. I mean, the last time we had a, a situation even close to this was um, uh, when uh, Bush Sr. lost to Clinton. Yes. But he but he went away peacefully and quietly and mm-hmm. didn't stay in the zeitgeist. He didn't, you know he wasn't hounding everyone like, like Donald Trump is just, he, he's like a zombie. He will not go away. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, there are some yeah. things about Donald Trump that kind of actually work out for Democrats. And that's the not more to he say reminds that, us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, as well as everyone within the sound of my voice, agrees that we could do without him. <laughs> you know, yeah. but at the oh, same oh, time. Believe me. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there is uh, maybe some sort of teeny tiny sliver of advantage to having him out there. I know, for example, Eric Trump saying yesterday that. It's Trump's party now. It's no longer the Republican yeah. party. It's the Trump's party. Oh, yeah. That's got to be helpful. I, I was like, yeah, yeah please keep saying that as, as often as you can, Eric. <laughs> Thank well, you. It also gives us something to run on. Look at like the um, the Tim Ryan, J.D. Vance race this week. J.D. Vance kept saying, well, you're you're Nancy Pelosi. You're Joe Biden. He's like, oh, well, you're Donald Trump's pawn. You kissed his ass. Oh, I know. You 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 did everything you could to get it. I mean, and, and so it's very easy to. You know, if they're going to play this like Biden Pelosi, it's like because Biden Pelosi have gotten some shit done. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. Yeah. But and, and, you know, I, I just keep grappling with my cynical side versus my optimistic side. And most of the time, especially recently, my optimistic side has been winning that argument. But there's still that side of me that's completely disillusioned with my fellow American voters who just seem to make the wrong choices, whether it's COVID, whether it was uh, 2016, whether it was the fact that Donald Trump got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016. Yeah. That was one of those things where I'm going, what the, f what, what planet am I even on anymore? You know what yeah. I mean? No, I'm the same way as, as as you on that one. And it's, I don't know how we can keep doing what we do. Yeah, yeah. Without, you know, being optimistic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's that's kind of the way I look at it at mm -hmm. all times. It's like we can't we can't do this without being optimistic. So yeah, know. yeah. I mean, for myself, I plan on doing what I'm doing right now for the next 30, 40 years, maybe. And in order yeah. to make it that long through that many decades and probably a worsening political climate, if my worst fears come to fruition, I'm going to have to figure out a way to deal with that. And I think taking an optimistic approach is a great way to do it. And that actually brings up a good point and a nice segue into the main topic of what we're going to discuss today, which as usual, yeah. Get dirty. Yeah, <laughs> abso-fucking-lutely. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. The optimism makes me think of one of the topics I want to talk about today, which is Strange New Worlds, the new Star yeah. Trek series. Mm-hmm. I've gone on record about my dissatisfaction with the sort of the Goldsman Kurtzman era, which started yeah. with Discovery and Star Trek Picard, I thought, even as a next generation guy, and I'm a next generation super fan. Oh, me too. I was so immensely disappointed with Picard. I think we've talked about this before. Exactly. I I, like none of the tone of the show made it onto the screen in Picard, right? No, no, nothing. It, it, it just didn't work all around on so many levels it feels yeah, like yeah. and it's and it's a shame because and 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 you know I, as we we're gonna sit here and you know complain about the <laughs> card and how much we don't like it but you know that we're both gonna watch season three because they're bringing the entire original next generation cast back oh my god absolutely i mean it's like I mean, this we're, abusive we're relationship yeah it's like it yeah <laughs> I, like oh fuck picard and then i see the trailers for season three and like Oh man, it's a data is in there. Moriarty for fuck's sake. I mean, even Amanda me Amanda Plummer is in it and she wasn't even in Next Generation. But what a great idea to cast Amanda Plummer as one of the bad guys in a yeah. Star Trek series. She's outstanding and completely underrated. So I'm really looking forward to that. Plus yeah. lore and all this stuff. I mean, it's fishing us in 
And I'm thinking, okay, I'm excited about this, but it's just going to be the same level of disappointment. Yeah, which it's like, I hope it's not that way, but I'm preparing myself for that eventuality. But after two seasons of it, you know, season one was okay. Yeah. Season two was just like we talked about. It was it was it was a, it was a mess, and it was all over the place, and it just got ridiculous. Yeah, they were and just so now. Yeah, you know, maybe that they're back in the present, their future, our our future, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it will be a little bit more, and won't have that that crazy weird feeling of last season that was just yeah it felt like an ode to Star Trek Four, but it just did not work. I mean, there's going to be the Enterprise in it, the Enterprise F. Uh, there's going to be the Titan A, which is what they're calling it, which is captained by Seven of Nine. And okay, I, and I haven't seen the trailer for season, season three. Oh, okay, so, so I might be totally spoiling it for you. I, I, I no, apologize. That's fine. That's, I, it doesn't bother me at all. Okay, I, good, like, good. A trailer good. is a trailer. Well, the Titan A, first of all, the Titan was introduced in Lower Decks, which I don't watch because I have a thing with animation because I ran an animation studio for many years. It's a whole thing about why I don't watch Lower Decks. But the Titan was introduced in that show and it's a different design than the new class of Titan that appears in Picard. And that's why I think they're calling it the Titan A. But it's a Constitution class ship, which is much more like the original Enterprise. It's got that vibe to it. And I think they're calling okay. it something like a Neo-Constitution class vessel. And so even that was exciting to me. And so I'm, I'm hoping that they bring in a little bit more of the traditional Star Trek tone and where they can get a lot of that is borrowing from all of the myriad things that have worked about strange new worlds. And this brings up the optimism we were talking about a second strange ago. Strange new worlds is, I remember I started watching it before you and I kept saying, no, you need to watch it. No, you need to give it a shot. <laughs> and you, and you were very, very worried about the fact that they brought in the, the Gorn. Oh, yeah. That was, I think, a minor nitpick concern of mine, right. only because in the original series, the Gorn is introduced for the first time, and they kind of say, well, well, no one's really had contact. This is first contact with the Gorn. We don't know anything mm -hmm. about this new species, etc. And then they bring it in, and they use it as a device. But they explain it away quite well, yeah. I believe. Yeah, they did. I thought they did a great job of like making it work for their universe. But there are so many great things about Strange New Worlds, I don't even really acknowledge some of my nitpicks with it. I mean, I have several nitpicks yeah. with Strange New Worlds. I'm not convinced on the casting of James T. Kirk on the show. I love Sam Kirk's portrayal a lot more. And yeah, no, that, he's great. That could have easily been Jim Kirk, that actor. Um, yeah. And also, this is a spoiler. This next nitpick that I have with Strange New Worlds is a spoiler. So skip ahead one minute if you don't want to be spoiled. I was <laughs> sad when they killed Hammer so soon because Hammer was almost immediately one of my favorite characters. Yeah, no, they, they, they made, but that's what they do on some of these shows is they make yeah. you fall in love with a character like that. Exactly. To make you feel that loss. And, but at the same time, agree with you 100% about the way they, the fact that he died. Mm. But the fact that he, he kind of went out, he treated death almost differently. Like, yeah. no, I've, I've fulfilled what I'm supposed to do. It's time for me to move on. I've done my job here. He kind of like, there was like, there was a catharsis about it. That was really inspiring and hopeful, which fits in the, into the Star Trek world. Like, Absolutely. He felt like he was, he was going on to serve his purpose, I guess, at that point, you know? And then it sets up Spock's sacrifice in Wrath of Khan. 
because yeah. the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That was the idea that Hemmer was getting across when he sacrificed himself. So in that sense, it works. I'm just disappointed that Hemmer's gone because I just I love that character. So I, yeah, I, no, he I was great. hoping for more Hemmer. But yeah. the overall thing, the overall takeaway, I think is embodied so much in Anson Mount's Captain Pike. And that character to me says everything you need to say about modern Star Trek when it's working. Captain Pike is, I think, the very first, God, I hate to use this terminology, the very first woke captain. And mm-hmm. not even in a political sense, but absolutely my favorite Star Trek captain. I mean, I was a huge Picard guy, as I was saying before. I, yeah. I love Next Generation. I love Picard. Picard is a character. But Captain Pike now exemplifies, I think, uh, such a great role model for our times, a male role model for our times. Mm -hmm. And I'll explain why. He's maybe the first non-toxic male captain in Star Trek. And by non-toxic, I mean zero toxic masculinity. He doesn't pull rank. He's even keeled. He doesn't even introduce himself as a captain. When he introduces himself to a crew member or to someone else he's communicating with on screen, he always introduces himself as Christopher Pike. He never says, I'm Captain Pike. So he never throws around that authoritarian side. Yeah, exactly. The the authoritarian aspect of being a Starfleet captain. He's a chef, which is, I believe, an intentional character thing to illustrate how he nurtures and nourishes his crew. Yeah, Um, oh, the the captain's table, like aspect of the show it like I, I think it was in this second or third episode when uhura gets invited to her first dinner with him yes and she, and wears she her shows up in dress her, uniform her, yeah the dress uniforms and everything and um i'm blanking on her name is it um garcia ortegas ortegas i'm sorry ortegas. yes when yeah. she um she's like teasing her about like oh no everyone we do it to everyone on this you know it, <laughs> that moment though where you go in and have that 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 dinner it's like you kind of like Oh, he's creating a family here. Yes. And he's got people, you know, and it's, it's, you know, he's a captain. He could like have replicators make food. He could, Mm -hmm. you know, command someone on the, but for him to want to do that himself. Yeah. There's a warmth about it. And it kind of, it spills over into the idea that this crew is a family. Yeah. I think that that's like such a cool thing about that show. And it's, um, well, and it's like, and you know, getting to watch Ohura because like grow into herself. Yeah. Well, there's a uh, there's a traditionally feminine aspect to Captain Pike, while at the same time being, I think, typically masculine too. And but as I was saying before, not in a toxic way. But he's a good guy. He's a masculine role model. But at the same time, he's got this nurturing aspect to him, where he wants to serve his crew. They're not there to serve him necessarily other than their duty to Starfleet, he is there, he sees his role as serving them, as facilitating their life in Starfleet and their service to uh, the Federation. In fact, the central conflict of Captain Pike, the foreknowledge of his own gruesome death, which was start with that plot line started up in Discovery and then has carried forth as sort of his running thing in Strange New Worlds, This is a problem for him, but not because he fears death. It's because he's concerned about whether he'll be a good leader for his crew 
given this anvil dangling over his head. So he's not worried the fact that he's aware of the fact that he's going to die this awful death seven years later. He's more concerned that the distraction of knowing his own death is imminent is going to hamper his ability to nourish and nurture his crew, that he's not going to be a strong leader because he's he might be end up preoccupied with this horrible death that he's got to face. And that's yeah. another aspect of this character that is utterly fascinating. And, you know, I have to think that Strange New Worlds is successful uh, mainly because, <laughs> this goes back to the guys who are running the show with Star Trek right now, mainly because Kurtzman and Goldsman were overruled or something, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. I but, don't know what they did, but it's yeah. working. Yeah, they just hit every beat just perfectly. I hope they don't fuck it up with season two. I mean, there's always that possibility. I know there's there's going to be an episode that I'm curious about how they're going to pull it off, but I think there's going to be an episode where they're going to mix the animation of Lower Decks with the live action of Strange New Worlds or vice versa. So From I'm a little... I understand, yeah. The, the lower decks people are going to be playing themselves as non-animated characters. Okay, interesting. All right. So there's probably going to be a wormhole or a time shift or something where they end up coming face to face. I'm assuming with with our Strange New Worlds cast. Yeah, yeah. Is, is lower decks? Gonna, when is lower decks set? Is that set? It's set somewhere between uh, what Voyager uh, and the and the uh, Next Generation movies, or when is it? What is it set it up? It is, I, I believe it's set like the post-generation movies. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, they, well, they... Um, Same time it, as Picard, it, you know, it's, it's basically. A, uh, yeah, probably. Maybe a little bit earlier than Picard because right. um, Riker is still a captain. Oh, all right. We've, we've um, at one point, um, one of the characters was was on right was stationed on Riker's ship. Um, there's a whole plot line with Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. Wow. Showing up in one episode. So it's, so it's after Voyager's return. It is um, uh, uh, Riker is a captain on a ship, and so they're still out. So it's it's I would say it's just after probably Voyager returned. And then they just did an episode with some characters from DS Nine, didn't they? I have not seen that one. Yeah, like I think Quark is in it. Quark. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not. It's like Lower Decks is one of those ones. It's like I kind of like <laughs> it, it's it's an easy one to throw on and keep up with whenever. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It doesn't feel like required viewing for me, mm -hmm. but um, but it's it's like I I want to keep up with it because I I like I like the cast yeah and and it's 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 like one of those things it's like it's fun to put on in the afternoon when you need something light exactly I, you know and here's my problem let me explain my problem with lower decks there's a tonal thing that bothers me but I th I think it can, I can overcome it and, and there's a common series of tropes that are used in television animation now that are sort of borrowed ancestors of the family guy tone. Uh, and I don't know how prominent that is in Lower Decks, but even beyond that, the fact that it's animated, because I ran an animation studio for so many years, when I watch TV animation, usually not like feature film animation, but with TV animation, 2D animation, I'm usually sitting there going, like picking apart in my head how they did it, how they assembled the different layers, the different elements of each character, the arms and the torso and everything like that. It's limited animation and there's a certain 
uh, style now that has emerged out of flash animation, which is primarily what I did in the early 2000s into up till around uh, 2015, actually. And so now when I watch animation like that, <laughs> it's not necessarily the show. It's just how my brain works. And I see the nuts and bolts of it. I see the mechanics of it more than the whole. Does that make any sense? No, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, have you, I know it's it's geared at younger kids and stuff like that, but have you watched any of Star Trek Prodigy? Because that, now that's done with computer animation as opposed to like the traditional 2D. You know what? I haven't seen that either, though I'm curious because isn't Janeway a character? Isn't Kate Mulgrew in that? She is in it, and um, it, it looks like we're going to be getting a lot of the Voyager cast in it coming wow. up. Um, the first season of it, um, and just a fun fact, Carlos Alzraki's daughter, Riley, is oh, the yeah. voice of one of the kids. Right. Um, for people who don't know, Star Trek Prodigy, um, the, and just to give you like the background on it, it's these kids who are like slave labor in a mining colony, and they oh, stumble upon, they're mining, and one of them stumbles upon a Starfleet ship. Wow. And they're like, they're like, like buried in rock, like underneath, like that. And it's apparently that's what they've been mining to find is the, the, the guy who's in charge was actually trying to find this ship. I, wasn't there a next generation episode where there was a Starfleet ship? And I want to say it was Picard's old ship that got uh, like was in some sort of transporter accident or maybe they were testing a cloaking device and it ended up inside embedded meteors or, or inside an asteroid or something like that yeah yeah i vaguely vaguely remember that i i have not watched the original next generation i've seen bits and pieces <laughs> of episodes but i've not watched the, the original next generation episodes since they originally aired but anyway but like this one what is so these kids they stumble upon this ship mm -hmm. and they're like hey we've got a way to get out of here yeah <laughs> and then, and it's kind of like it plays on the doctor in Star Trek Voyager, where it's or or they have it now in um in Picard, where they've got the emergency um, hologram. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the emergency hologram commander. Oh, perfect! And apparently, the ship is like a training ship for um, Starfleet cadets. Interesting. And so, Kate Mulgrew is Janeway, is as their instructor. And so, so at the cool. beginning, yeah. when they activate the ship, she thinks that they're all cadets. Oh, and so it's this crew, this crew of kids stealing this ship to escape from like slave labor. And she's like guiding them as like a captain. And it's kind of like, so the first season is kind of like this build out of her, like as like their mentor captain teaching them. And the spoiler alert, the season finale is they transmit a signal and the original, the real, um, Janeway mm. it got, cuts to her on a ship catching this signal and she's like that's the prodigy we've been looking for that ship for you know five years oh I get it now okay the, so the that's ship, not the, that's not the same ship from the next generation episode I was talking no about, no, so. no no okay no, so no, there's the a different ship on yeah the ship that they're on is a pro is the prodigy and it's like and it and it like the whole cadet thing was kind of like a mislead because it's like it's got like an experimental new warp core on board oh, i see that's okay. powered by a singularity and so it's so the bad guy's trying to get the ship because it's got this new like fuel source mm. and janeway gets a signal that like hey the ship is out there okay we need to go find the ship so that's kind of where they've left us off but it, it's just it's it's it it's fun because it's like it's kids getting the star trek treatment yeah and janeway's kind of like hey you know there's protocols and we make first contact there's the things we do like it's kind of like it's going through all of that stuff with them and so it's 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 different but it's fun but it's kind of like you can see where it's directing these kids to like kind of like turn 
learn to work as a family and learn to work together and to um, be something more than just stealing a ship. They kind of exactly. like they become a crew. Well, there was some turmoil in the Kelvin universe with the movies. I think they dropped Paramount dropped Star Trek four in that J.J. Uh, Abrams timeline uh, from their release schedule, which is not good news. It's been struggling for years and years and years to get another movie off the ground. But here, I mean, just going back to Strange New Worlds, I think Paramount should just ditch further movies with the Kelvin timeline, even though I love the Kelvin timeline movies. Yeah. They should just start doing Strange New World movies. I mean, that's a cast and a setup. I mean, I think that series has like a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. It's hugely it's successful. That good. Yeah, yeah. And so that can be really the future of the franchise. I think they landed yeah. on a cast and a tone that could carry Star Trek through the next couple of decades. So they need to start making those movies. And since the series is episodic, like the original series, like Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, the movies could be like extended standalone episodes, which they could weave into the episodic nature of the TV seasons. You know, they could do a thing with the Gorn. I don't care. They could do a Klingons story as one of the movies. That To me, the Kelvin timeline at this point would be redundant because they've got it going on with Strange New Worlds. Yeah, and it's, yeah the, 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 the movie stuff doesn't seem necessary right now because especially like after, you know, the, the third one, Star Trek Beyond. Yeah. It was just, it was like that didn't feel much different than an episode of like, a next generation. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the reasons you I know? love Star Trek Beyond because it very much was like a next generation episode, you know? Yeah. But it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't feel like they're breaking any new ground or like it didn't feel like they went beyond what they had. It just felt like, oh no, this is just kind of a, a, and, and, and don't get me wrong, Beyond was fun. Yeah. But it just didn't it didn't have that grandeur that like when they launched the Kelvin timeline. Well, and they don't need the Kelvin timeline anymore because the whole reason the Kelvin timeline took place in the first place, the reason that was established is because this amazingly enough, I can't believe I'm going to recount this story, but it, it goes back to the Janet Jackson nipple slip, the Super Bowl thing with okay. uh, Justin Timberlake and the fallout from that led to a split at Paramount because of MTV producing the Super Bowl halftime show at that Super Bowl with the uh, wardrobe malfunction. And then so there was a separation that occurred where the TV side, I forget, no, it was the movie side couldn't borrow any of the characters from the TV side or any of the themes or anything like that. So what they ended up doing, long story short, is they had to establish the Kelvin timeline because of legal reasons, because of this separation in the Paramount family. And so now that that has been resolved, obviously, with this new uh, set of TV shows and so on, I think they can absolutely go back to uh, doing a prime to. timeline thing with uh, the obvious choice. Because you got Anson Mount, who, as far as I'm concerned, is like a fucking movie star. And oh, the, yeah. the entire cast are movie stars. I mean, they could all carry that cast. The ensemble is so good. It could it's carry a, a series cast. of, yeah, another six movies on top of, you know, whatever, seven seasons of a TV show. I think it's got that much juice to it, as long as they don't fuck it up. I mean, there's always that thing, because, again, we're talking about Goldsman and Kurtzman. They could always screw it up. But uh, I think they've got so much potential there that they'd be insane to squander it. So I hope <laughs> I sincerely hope they don't. 
Yeah, no, and I, and it's and it like you said, it's like for me, not knowing the background that you knew about the the Kelvin timeline existence. To me, the Kelvin timeline was like, okay, we're creating our own Star Trek world so that we can we can use any of the stuff that they, that you're familiar with from Star Trek, but mm-hmm. we're going to hit it sideways and come into it from a different angle, which I appreciated. You know, it, yeah. it was a way of putting a fresh spin on it. But obviously, with with Strange New Worlds, they found a way to put a fresh spin on Star Trek. Mm-hmm without you know creating a new timeline yeah um like you said it's just it's it's just it's good and each week is like it's giving you all of the feels there are through lines you're seeing the characters develop and go places mm-hmm. but it's but it's it's it, but it's still like something like you could miss two episodes and watch an episode and be fine with it why you would miss two episodes is on you yeah yeah but you wouldn't exactly. I, I think one of the reasons Strange New Worlds works is it's earnest and it embraces Star Trek. Whereas I think Discovery and Picard were busily trying to shove the square peg of Star Trek into the round hole of modern streaming television, which is very mm-hmm. cynical, which is very uh, slow burn, which is very dark. That's kind of the style of, you know, the golden age of television that we see now. We see a lot of that. And I'm not saying it's necessarily bad or good or whatever. I'm just saying that maybe that's not necessarily Star Trek. So, um, yeah. did you yeah. have you watched all of Discovery? I started watching it from the beginning uh, a couple of years ago, and it just didn't grab me. But now that I've jumped back through and started to watch individual episodes here or there to get some background because I'm so fucking obsessed with Stranger New Worlds, I, yeah. I'll go back to especially season two when Pike comes in and the, you know, the story with the Klingon and the time crystal and all that. I went back and I've seen enough episodes to recognize that I was a little hasty in my conclusion about Discovery. It's not as it's not as bad as I initially thought it was. And by bad, I mean it's still Star Trek. It's good, but it doesn't grab me. It doesn't. Uh, it's not yeah. my thing. It doesn't float my boat, so to speak. But now I, I'm warming up to it. I think to the point where there may be a time in the not too distant future that I'll start watching it straight on through. You know, I was going to say if you wanted to, I feel you could jump in if you wanted. If you know enough about season two, yeah, and um, how season two ended, mm-hmm. jumping in at season three. I think is a great onboarding point because you'll, you'll have everything that you need to know about the show. Okay. And season three is where they do the time jump to like a thousand years post. Um, <laughs> wow. Like next generation. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like in shit. the 33rd century. Okay. And so it's, it really opens up the world because in, in, at that point in the future, Starfleet has fallen apart. There's no more Federation of planets. Wow. You know, Earth is isolationist. And <laughs> fuck. They're they're on this ship and they're like, wait a minute, what do you mean this is this is what we jumped to? This is where we're at now. Well, I mean, and when you're thinking three thousand years in the future, it seems like that kind of eventuality would be inevitable. Like nothing lasts right. forever. So yeah, that kind of makes sense. But it but it turns into like, hey, we're gonna go back and reestablish relations with Earth. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna put Starfleet back together. We're gonna fix what we're going to fix what's broken. So it's, so in that regards, it's um, like seasons three and four of discovery are one long story. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's getting, you know, earth back into the United Federations of plan. And you, I'm sure you saw because everyone, they, it was like a big stunt casting moment um, that in the finale, Stacey Abrams shows up. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. As, as the president of the United earth, which caused 
everyone on the right to freak out, which made me mm-hmm. love it even more. Just because it was it was like <laughs> one of those things where she like walks out and you're just like, oh yeah, this is good. I yeah, mean, the only thing yeah. way it could be better is if Buddha Judge was like her secretary of state or something. <laughs> right on. Well, just to, to put an end cap on the uh, Star Trek end of this conversation, uh, those of you who haven't seen it, if you can get access to Strange New Worlds, it's on Paramount Plus. I would strongly urge you to watch it, uh, mainly for the influence of Captain Pike, the kind of character they have created, not only the creators of the show, the runners of the show, but also Anson Mount have created uh, one of the most stupendous characters in the history of Star Trek. And I say that not only because of the portrayal of the character, but what that character represents. Because if you, you compare that kind of leadership to some of the leadership we're seeing in the Republican Party right now, mm-hmm. the Republicans should, who see Captain Pike in Strange New World should be embarrassed for themselves and what they've wrapped themselves into the yeah. kind of toxicity and awfulness that is sort of symbolic and, and representative of the Republican party. Now complete polar opposite, the opposite end of the spectrum of what you see from the kind of leadership on strange new world. So, um, and I, I would just like to throw in a, in the endorsement of this as well. It's worth pointing out the opening episode of strange new worlds. There's some imagery that <laughs> yes. goes back to, <laughs> you know, January 6th, I'll just straight up say it. Like mm-hmm. there's like, there's like some straight up call outs to January 6th. And it was, um, it was jarring and intense. Oh, I know. I know to see that, but then to like come out of it with the hopefulness of the star Trek future. So, you know, for, for fans of, of this show, you, people, people, you, you've got a political audience so oh, yeah. that might be something that might make them feel optimistic about the future, seeing that like, Oh yeah, we may go through some shit right now, but it's going to get better yeah. idea. And then from there, it it really drops that mm-hmm. and it carries on as its own show. And, um, but there is that nice, you know, each episode is standalone. You're the investment's not that big, Yeah, but yeah. you're going to get hooked on it because you start to fall in love with the characters. And the more you get to know the characters, the more you like the show. And that's, that's what good TV is to me right now. That's what you need is these characters that you want to, a writing professor told me once, the, the thing about TV shows are their relationships with people and characters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it has to be somebody you want to invite into your living room and spend an hour with every week. Mm-hmm. And there aren't a lot of people that you want to do that with, but this cast is a group of people that you want to do that with. Absolutely. God, I couldn't have said it better. Mm-hmm. One of the big ingredients that I see in that show is the West Wing. Because you've got that ensemble cast with a positive yeah. role model as the leader is sort of the dad of the the cast. And the way it lets you off at the end makes you feel really good. Like you just spent yeah. a worthwhile hour with these characters and you're walking away from it with a really good feeling. And there's got to mm-hmm. be more of that. And I'm, I'm so glad Star Trek has finally embraced that sort of thing again. Um, but moving on to darker arenas, it looks like another DCEU movie is getting destroyed in the entertainment press today. And that is uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Black Adam. I, I haven't seen any. I, it was funny. I was at Target before I... Um, got home to get on here with you and they had all the black Adam toys out and I was like, going, Oh, I wonder how this is going to go. Yeah. Well, it may still be a blockbuster in terms of box office, mm-hmm. but the reviews, I think right now on rotten tomatoes, it's got about a 53%, which is not good. Yeah. And I haven't seen it yet, obviously, but this no, raises se- several questions uh, that I have and, and mainly circulating around rotten tomatoes as becoming sort of the, 
yardstick as to whether or not a movie is good or not. There's also something that Zaki Hassan said today uh, on Twitter about the Rotten Tomatoes score for Black Adam. And that is that Rotten Tomatoes takes nuanced reviews and then superimposes a binary score, rotten pass or fail. not rotten. Yeah, it's a pass-fail. Yeah. That doesn't seem accurate or fair to me, just looking at it from 30,000 feet. I don't know how you feel about the Rotten Tomatoes thing, but it seems hinky as far as I'm I have concerned. A, I, personally, I have a very, very negative opinion of Rotten Tomatoes at this yeah. point. Um, I don't want something 100% on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> because that just means everyone wrote a glowing review. Yeah. Like I want it. Like I want some criticism. Like if you give me a, a Rotten Tomatoes review that's somewhere like in the '80s or '90s, right? Then I'm then I'm then I'm I'm much more interested in it because I feel like there's going to be things that like for, that are open for interpretation. And you know, going into a comic book movie, you might be speaking more my language where I I might get that you know mm -hmm. the, the 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 nuanced thing, and it's not for everyone. Um, but I but the whole pass fail aspect of it because it's kind of like. Um, I think the biggest offenders on this for the longest time were Marvel movies because it got to the point where it just felt like all the critics were like, it's fine. It's good. It's good. And so Marvel movies would always have these like hundred percent scores. And it wasn't really until Eternals where they were kind of like, Oh wait, we can give a movie a bad score and not pay a price for it. Yes. And we saw that happen more with, um, with Dr. Strange and with Thor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back to the DC movies, I, I I know we have different opinions about the DC movies, but for me, they've been a constant source of disappointment. <laughs> yeah, well, I think by and large, they have. Uh, only, yeah. I think the source of my disappointment, though, is less about the creative teams who made the movies and more in terms of how Warner Brothers and DC have handled those movies. The biggest generator of angst for me, for example, in any DCEU movie was the way Justice League was handled. And that's, I've got a whole rant about that that I don't want to bore people with again, but I still think the 2017 theatrical release of Justice League was an absolute low point, not just for comic book movies, but blockbuster movies in general. It was such a cynical mess. I can't even describe how much I dislike that movie and what was done to it, especially when you get the context of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which came out during the pandemic and uh, was a vast improvement <laughs> on the theatrical yeah. release. But um, going back to Rotten Tomatoes, I wonder if now the expectation is as long as a comic book movie is an action comedy with bright colors, it's fine but as soon as you kind of start to veer away from that, the critics get really kind of pissy pants about what you're trying to do. And, and you mentioned The Eternals, which to me was a fantastic Marvel movie because yeah. it wasn't the typical thing. It's one of the reasons I loved uh, uh, Ragnarok so much. It wasn't the same thing that we've been seeing or the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie. It was a bit of a departure, but The Eternals was a departure in a way that wasn't necessarily a new joke every 15 seconds, which I right. think is some of the other Marvel properties tend to do that. And again, I'm not criticizing Marvel. I love the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. But generally, I'm looking at this through the lens of reviewers, and I feel as though if that comedy element isn't there, if the sort of bright colors and tropes that have worked for Marvel movies aren't there, then it's kind of like, what the hell are we looking at? Plus, there's, yeah. I think, another thing where I think a lot of reviewers who aren't really into comic books or that entire universe 
I think what they expect is kind of a skewed view of what comic books even are. I think there's this attitude among normals <laughs> that comic books are like Silver Age things that are, as I was saying before, brightly colored, kind of silly, kind of just for kids, without taking into consideration uh, more modern storytelling, like post-1970 storytelling in comic books, which is much mm -hmm. more gritty, adult, varied in terms of its tone, mm -hmm. and is more open in terms of the kind of storytelling you can incorporate into those pages. And I think that gets yeah. forgotten. And I think some comic book movies that reflect the sort of the post-Silver Age ideas and tone get criticized for being too dark or too gritty or too this or that. See also the Eternals. See also, you know, the Zack Snyder DC movies. So I, I feel like they're trying to keep comic book movies in a certain lane, and anything mm -hmm. that veers outside of that lane yeah. is destroyed. And I think that might be the case with Black Adam today. Uh, I don't know. I'm saying that blindly. I don't, you know, I haven't seen any of it. I know a lot about what happens in it, and I've seen the trailers. But beyond that, I have no idea if it's really going to genuinely be any good. But from what I've seen, it seems like it's it's got the elements that make a successful comic book movie. It just might be not fun enough. I don't know. <laughs> I you know, no I don't. I, I'm in the same boat as you. It's it's one of those movies I'm curious about. We um we just signed up for out here. AMC theaters has a thing called um, A List where yeah. I can go see three movies a week. Oh, so, wow. anyways, I um so I I can and there's a movie theater that's like walkable from my house. So it's like oh I can you know th that's one I don't mind going and seeing in a in a theater that's not the biggest screens, mm -hmm. but I can watch the movie on the big screen this weekend. It's not like I'm paying anything extra for it at this point. So I'm, I probably will go see it if I have time this weekend. I've got a lot going on, but if I, you know, we've got this little thing called sexy liberal. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Saturday. Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, if I can go see it on Sunday or something like that, I might, I might try to check it out because it's like, I'm, I'm curious about what they're doing just because I know how they're handling black Adam in the comic books right now. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see what they're trying to do with him in the movie. Cause black Adam's always been a villain. Yes traditionally and they're kind of trying to cast him in a new light in the in the in the comic books right now he's a member of the justice league oh interesting i didn't know that that's how that's how far they've gone they've kind of like the whole the when they kind of re rebooted the justice league recently they were like we need to bring in some different perspectives and it's kind of moving away from this like it's kind of moving to a little bit almost an, they wanted him because he is an antagonist for them but they're like but at the same time he doesn't want to destroy earth and he wants to protect his people. Yeah. You know, is that any different than the rest of us? It's just, we see him as a bad guy because he's from this middle East country. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how they're, they're rehabbing his character in the comic books right now. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's kind of what we're starting to see a little bit in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. As well, where he's kind of like this anti-hero type person. <laughs> Yeah, and, and for the, the people who are unfamiliar with Black Adam as a character, he's an antagonist to Shazam traditionally, right? Correct. Who's, which that was the thing when I was like, they're making a Black Adam movie, but they've got a Shazam movie that doesn't address the existence of Black Adam. But Black, <laughs> but it's like, how do you have one without the other? Yeah, right, right. You well, know? initially they were. I think Black Adam was going to be the villain in the first Shazam movie. And right. I think uh, Dwayne Johnson wanted, you know, loved the character enough. He said, well, you got to give him a standalone movie first. 
before he's just the the bad guy in another movie. So I think that's one of the reasons they went ahead with Black Adam as its own thing, which is probably a good idea. I think it's yeah. I think generally speaking, too, for the DCEU, I think staying the course is the best option for the DCEU, even if Black Adam is only, you know, moderately successful. I think they just need to plow forward, find their audience, lay down a marker and say, this is the kind of tone that the DCEU is all about. A little bit of James Gunn, a little bit of Zack Snyder, a little bit of Dwayne Johnson. Mix all of that up, and there's your DCEU. Take it or leave it (laughs) and and go ahead that way. Have the confidence, have the integrity to say, this is what we're doing. Love it or hate it, this this is what it is. I'm on board for it. And it's like, I'm curious about how they're going to handle, you know, we're, we're, um, we're going with more of like what, what they call the justice society characters. Yes. So we've got, you know, Dr. Fate and we've got, um, the Adam, Adam Smasher. And, yeah. Yeah. They call him Adam Smasher and this, uh, Hawkman yeah. is in it. Um, and then, uh, Cyclone who I'm not familiar with, I, I'm assuming she pre she existed, but she's not someone that I'm like a, a major character that I'm that familiar with. Uh huh. <laughs> the fascinating thing, the fascinating thing about uh, Hawkman, just real quick, is Hawkman in the comics is a conservative, and in mm-hmm. fact, his his nemesis politically is Green Arrow, or Green Arrow is sort of the bleeding heart liberal of the Justice League, and Hawkman yeah. is like this conservative. I- I'm interested to see how they play Hawkman in this movie, whether he's got that kind of conservative Republican attitude somewhere buried underneath how they portray him. I wonder if they incorporate that at all. I doubt it, but it's, you know, who knows? It's always possible. Yeah. And it's, and like, so from the trailers, we've seen Amanda Waller in it. So it feels like Mm. we're still in our current DC universe, but at the same time, it's like to have this, like all of this happening, but we don't have a wonder woman and we don't have an Aquaman showing up. We have these random new heroes showing up. It's kind of like, well, what's going on there? And then I don't know if you've heard or not, but there have been all these rumors about um, that we might get some um, Henry Cavill Superman. Oh, yeah. They're actually in development right now, I believe, on Man of Steel 2 with Henry Cavill. And uh, because of this movie. Yeah. And spoiler warning, you skip ahead 30 seconds or something like this uh, in, in case you don't want to be spoiled for Black Adam. But, and here comes the spoiler, it sounds like Henry Cavill makes a cameo as Superman in black adam at some point i think he's got that's like maybe the, one line or something like that that's what all the rumors and everything i've been seeing yeah. say too and some um some friends of mine who have a, a entertainment podcast they pointed out and i think this is a, a good tell apparently um uh dwayne johnson's got the same management team as henry cavill yes <laughs> right and that's that that has played into part of this mm-hmm. so I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, because I, I like Henry Cavill as Superman. I don't, I don't know if he like necessarily got dealt the best hand with Superman. Yeah, yeah. And so it'd be interesting to see where they go with with Superman now, because I've, I, I, you get, how do you have the DC universe without Superman and Batman? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, irrespective, I mean, put Zack Snyder aside and the content of Man of Steel aside, Henry Cavill is a great Superman. And yeah. the fact that Man of Steel was received, and certainly Batman v Superman, the way those movies were received, it kind of short shrifted Henry Cavill a little bit because I think he right. could, with the right script, you could get a little bit of that Christopher Reeve thing going on with him. He's capable of doing that. His acting chops and his reputation in the industry has expanded significantly since Man of Steel yeah. and BVS. Plus, there's this other wild card, which 
I'm surprised that there weren't more things announced almost right away after what I'm about to say. And that is James Gunn. Because, you know, you talk about the hit or miss nature of the DCEU. Both of James Gunn's contributions have been wildly successful. And I'm not just saying, just generally speak, I'm saying I love the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. I think I've watched the Peacemaker series for season one. I think I've watched that through three times. I just think Peacemaker is fantastic. Yes, it is so good on so many levels. And it seems like, okay, well, if I'm Warner Brothers Discovery, I really seize upon that. Maybe make James Gunn the Kevin Feige of the DCEU. Go that far to bring that tone into it. Because it's different enough from Marvel that it can't Mm -hmm. be necessarily mistaken for a Marvel movie. But at the same time, it's got that successful launching pad of both of those things right on the heels of each other uh just being wildly successful not only in terms of its popularity but in terms of its content in terms of its quality just being exceptional and so and and then plus it's got you know what it does especially the suicide squad has a little bit of the Zack snyder thing and it's not obviously it's not a Zack snyder movie but it's got a little bit of that hyper reality tone to it which i think also distinguishes the DCEU from Marvel, whereas Marvel is a little bit more grounded. Yeah, it's, there's a sci-fi aspect to it, but the DCEU is much more is is much bigger than life. Whereas the Marvel yeah. universe prides itself, and rightfully so, on its sort of street level thing. It's you know relatable superheroes. That's always been the Marvel thing. The yeah. Superheroes who we can relate to, who have personal lives kind of like ours. Whereas the DCEU is much more fantastical. And so mm-hmm. uh, the James Gunn contributions to that have kind of mixed a lot of those things too. Like Peacema- Peacemaker is very grounded as well, but it's also yeah. very big. And so uh, just the right mix of those things with <laughs> Peacemaker. And so I think... DC would be well served to give James Gunn more opportunities to make movies. And apparently the rumors are that he's got a couple of different DC movie projects in the works, plus Peacemaker season two, which is also yeah. exciting. Well, and, and, and like we saw this from like Guardians of the Galaxy and then like you said, it was Suicide Squad and Peacemaker. What James Gunn is really good at is putting together these ensembles. Yeah. You know, yeah. he really is really good at working with an ensemble cast and mm-hmm. making making that that idea of like a family come out. Yeah. And, you know, for as, as derided as he is these days, that's something that Joss Whedon really brought to Marvel in the first Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. He kind of created that that ensemble where you kind of like got, Oh, this is the captain. This is who captain America is yeah. like the Avengers movies really defined all of those characters. Cause you got to see them acting as heroes against each other. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, and you know, like I said, as, 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 as many problems as there are with, with um, Joss Whedon these days, he did do that. And I, that is a very impressive feat. And I think that that's something that James Gunn did really well with guardians. And like yeah. you said, again, with suicide squad, you know, Peacemaker, he took a, a cast that you would never put together in mm-hmm. a million years. And then I believe um, the actor who was in charge of their operation on Peacemaker, he's going to be playing the high evolutionary in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Oh, holy shit. Okay. So they're bringing, they're, bring, they're bringing characters back and forth between those between those two now, mm-hmm. as far as or the actors and stuff like that. So no, I think James Gunn, ha- and, and James Gunn has kind of signaled that Guardians 3 is going to be his last one. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. He signaled that like, this is a trilogy, you know, it's the beginning, middle and end of the story for the, this, this family, as far as I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. So it'll, it'll be real. I'll be, I'll be real curious to see where it all ends up going. All right. Here's the best way to listen to the Bob Seska show without all of these damn commercial interruptions. Just go right now to our Patreon page at bobseskashow.com. Scroll down to the link for the ultimate edition of the podcast and sign up for just $15 per month. In exchange for your super generous support, we're going to give you a completely commercial-free version of the Tuesday show, the Wednesday show, and the Thursday shows. Plus, you're going to get the Shadow Docket show every Tuesday and Thursday, and you're also going to get the Friday After Party podcast with me and Kimberly Johnson included in that level of support. In other words, you get everything we have to offer, plus no commercials, plus the Patreon app, plus access to the comments, all of it. All just for $15 per month. Again, that's bobseskashow.com, and we thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Bob Seska! All-time favorites all day long! One of the things that stands out for me as far as James Gunn and uh, the Suicide Squad in particular is that sequence with Harley Quinn and like the animated birds as she's on that killing spree, the, the all the animation they incorporated in that sequence. Oh, yeah. I'd never seen anything like that before. Certainly not in a comic book movie. And as soon as I saw that, it was like, it was revelatory. It was like one of those aha moments. I like, holy shit, this is it. This is like the future of the DCEU, what we're seeing right here. Yeah. Just unbelievable, out of nowhere, completely unexpected. But for some reason, it works in that way that makes you want to stand up and go, yeah, that's that's fucking great. It's like that, yeah. what is it, that Meryl Streep gif that's used as a meme where she's standing up in the at the Oscars and going, yes. Yeah, and applauding, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the way I felt when I saw that. I was like, good God, give this guy like a 12-movie a deal and just let him go crazy with the DCEU. Mm -hmm. That's what I would have done if I had been in charge of DC and Warner Brothers at the time. But who knows? anymore i mean that brings up the next issue with the dceu you can't really count on any of this shit until it hits theaters can you, you no because i mean like look at i mean look at what they did with batgirl oh i know this year uh, God, the movie I was done it. yeah the movie was done they were like in the, like the final edits the final i mean like visual effects and everything were there yep yep and they were like no we're pulling it and we're burning the film i'm like that's in, that that to me was like that was really, really frustrating because it's like I was I was so looking forward to seeing what they did with that and where they went mm -hmm. with that. And and meanwhile, they're still trying to there's I mean, they must think that this um, 
Flashpoint movie with Ezra Miller is gold because yeah. the way that they're sticking with it, despite the fact that he may be in jail for 26 <laughs> no. years when the movie yeah. premieres. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just blows me away that this is like that the ride and die for DC is Flashpoint. Yeah, yeah I know. I know and exactly I was not, what you mean. It's funny. I, 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 going back to Perks of Being a Wallflower is where I first discovered Ezra Miller. Mm -hmm. And I liked him in that. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this kid's going to be great. And that that opinion has changed dramatically. Oh, I know. And I, and I wasn't really a fan of his version of Barry Allen. But I but I went with it, you know, for Justice League. Yeah, he brought a lot to Zack Snyder's Justice League. I thought that the the way he was played in that movie was a lot better than the theatrical cut. But that's that's not breaking news in terms of right. my feelings yeah. about that for characters in general. Yeah, in that. yeah. But then you know, but but now I just I don't know, you know, I don't know what they do with Flashpoint, and I and I get that it's probably an integral part of their plans because it's Flashpoint is. Um, it's like the Loki series. It's like what breaks the multiverse in oh, yeah. DC. Yeah. And so I, I get why they need to go with Flashpoint, but at the same time, I'm like, nothing else matters in the DC universe because there's like so many realities and so many this and that. Like, does it really matter that Flashpoint is the glue that's holding this all together at this point? I think what's going to happen with the Flash is a lot of critics are going to say, well, Marvel's already doing the multiverse thing and they're doing it a hell of a lot better than DC. And I think yeah. that's going to damn the Flash right out of the gate. I think the only reason why they haven't canceled the Flash is because of Michael Keaton. I think the the reveal of Michael Keaton returning as Batman. I mean, it wasn't enough to save Batgirl, but that wasn't that was going to be Batgirl was supposed to come after the Flash. So Michael yeah. Keaton was already established in the DCEU prior to Batgirl. So in that respect, I guess they felt Batgirl was expendable. Like, we can get rid of that, but it's not going to undermine Michael Keaton's presence in the DCEU. So they keep The Flash going as a film in spite of Ezra Miller because they know that Michael Keaton's appearance is going to blow the roof off of every theater where that movie plays. Yeah. Plus, there's, I, and I don't know, I don't know for sure, but I have heard bits and pieces of rumors about Christopher Reeve showing up as Superman as the flash is traveling through time. At one point he bumps, maybe bumps into Christopher Reeve's Superman and they use deep fakes or something like that to make him a reality. Okay. I heard that that was a possibility too. Like there are things in the flash that even if Ezra Miller is like enemy number one, <laughs> everyone hates Ezra yeah. Miller. If the movie is going to be carried by the spectacle of what happens in it. So right. maybe that's why they're sticking with it. I don't know. But because on the surface, it better be that. Because I think there are a lot of actors, especially the creative team that worked on Batgirl, who are going, why the fuck does Ezra Miller get so many passes on this? <laughs> why? I no, I think everyone feels that way at this point. It's yeah, like, the, yeah. like I said at the beginning of the conversation about this, it's like I don't understand how this movie is still um, moving forward. By the way, if you, have to, go, everything if, if you have to go at some point, I, I'm looking at the clock and you know it's about an hour now. So if you have well, to- I've, I've got out. time and I know we still have to get to Andor and She-Hulk. She-Hulk, and, yes. And, and, and probably Wakanda forever while we're at it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, definitely. And I want to uh, talk about uh, Rings of Power for a second too. So yeah. there's lots more. If we don't get to all of it, we don't get to all of it. Just the nature of, of how we do things here. So let's talk about She-Hulk. Uh, what did you think? What did you think overall now that the season is over? 
She-Hulk was so different from everything else we've gotten from Marvel as far mm-hmm. as I was concerned. Um, I just had a ball with it. Yeah. Because it was kind of like, it played around in a corner of the Marvel Universe. If you if you read the comics, yes. it played around in like the, the, the D-list corner of the Marvel Universe for a lot of it. <laughs> right. And that's kind of what made it fun. And I really like the idea, this, this show being about you know, she starts out like, oh, no, this is a lawyer show. This is a superhero show. And so much of it was about her trying to control her life and who she was and how she was defined by the world. Mm-hmm. And also, at the same time, she's learning to accept who she is as She-Hulk. I just thought the whole trajectory of the show was great. I mean, it, it it started out with, like, that origin story, and then it really turned into a different series after the origin story. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it got to the point where it's like, I loved the ensemble. I loved, you know, when when you got a cameo or someone showed up, it was a blast. You know, in a way, Titania was making her better as a person, <laughs> you know, pushing her to, like, accept who she was. It's like everything kind of, like, built into making Jin more accepting of who she was as She-Hulk. Yeah. And yeah. and then by the t- – and then, I mean – when she when daredevil showed up oh my god yes i was waiting to get I, to that because that i know just, I, I was like i was kind of like i had to get all that in because because like they teased us we knew that daredevil was going to show up and then when he did show up it was everything you wanted i mean it's it's yep. not the netflix daredevil that you're used to he's a little bit more flirty you know mm-hmm. but <laughs> but still like daredevil can get it <laughs> Oh and, yeah, yeah. And 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 boy did he get it. But I, it, I but never it expected was... that. I never expected in a million years that on Disney Plus we'd be seeing uh, She-Hulk fucking Matt Murdock. I know. <laughs> and yeah, I, that was one and of those I things that just blew it. me away. <laughs> exactly right. I was so pleased by that, not only because I'm yeah. a Daredevil super fan. And I love Charlie Cox's portrayal of Matt Murdock, of course. But I yeah. never anticipated the two of them hooking up, uh, and and certainly not in a, a Marvel thing. Um, I kind of like I, there. There was a part of me that as it was getting closer to it, I was going, "Wait, are these two gonna bang?" <laughs> and I was like, "Cause like he's a lawyer, she's a lawyer. You know, he's doing the superhero thing, she's doing the superhero thing. And like when they meet, and like they're having these like these deep conversations about identity." Mm-hmm. And secret identities and stuff like that, and like kind of these philosophical, but at the same time, like there's chemistry out the wazoo between the two of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I was is. like, and then you know when she broke the fourth wall and turned to look at the camera and said, "Are you feeling this? Because I'm feeling this." And I was like, "Oh, well, I'm <laughs> feeling it." And if it does not happen, he better come back for some more episodes. Yeah, and let's talk about Maslani's performance uh, as Jennifer Walters. I mean, Jesus Christ, she is a revelation. That's the first thing I've ever seen her in. And so I was just blown away by how good she was. Uh, I wasn't necessarily expecting that because I was just, I was unfamiliar with her as an actor. And so I would, I I would recommend, and this is, this is something I think you and Kimberly could watch together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know where it's streaming at now, but. Orphan Black is where I got to know Tatiana. Yes, that's where she and first. I think that was her big. Uh, that was her b- big breakout debut. role. She yeah, won. Yeah. An, she won an Emmy for it, mm-hmm. and she deservedly won an Emmy for it because she was playing. I want to say, by the time we got to the end of the series, she was playing ten different people. Yeah, because it was a. It was a, the whole concept of Orphan Black was that um, there were a bunch of um, clones that were created, yeah. and she um, and she's one of these you're introduced to one of her and she sees a girl looking just like her jumping off in front of a train to kill herself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And she picks up this girl's bag 
and ends up embroiled in this whole conspiracy theory where she's meeting other versions of herself. Mm -hmm. And so she was so phenomenal in that, like she can, Tatiana can play just about any kind of character you wanted to play and deliver different looks. And she can be plain Jane, like she is as Jennifer Walters, or she can be like, um, the other thing that she did that was really good. Did you watch, you didn't watch Perry Mason then, did you? We watched, you know what? We watched the first episode and it didn't grab us right away. It's not something that we're going to completely strike from the list, but it, it didn't, no. The answer is no, I haven't seen it, but I'm aware of it and uh, I've seen some of it, but uh, maybe. She plays a blonde femme fatale. Oh, really? Mason. Holy shit. And it's like, you know, you go from like plain Jane Jennifer Walters to Orphan Black where like you're introduced to her as like, you know, a street rat hustler. Mm-hmm. You know, which is about as far as you can get from Jennifer Walters. And then you go into Perry Mason, where she's playing like this 30, like 30s, um, you know, blonde bombshell, you know, the the femme fatale. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's just she can do anything as far as I'm concerned. And she delivered as She-Hulk. And I mean, like, you know, I was so pleased to see how she handled that role and what they mm -hmm. did with it. I was like, it was, that was just phenomenal as far as I was concerned. Well, I also loved how they completely trolled the fanboys, the bro fanboys. Oh my gosh. With that. It was like, they knew that the fanboys were going to be coming for that series. And yeah. they wrote that whole series <laughs> as the fanboys, as the villains. And then when they got to the end of it, she's <laughs> like, well, Oh, I'm in control of my story. We're mm -hmm. not doing it the way, you know, you want me to Kevin. <laughs> yeah. And like the, the fourth wall break on She-Hulk was like, unlike anything I've ever seen. She literally, uh, you know, for people who, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> people who haven't watched, she literally breaks out of the Disney Plus app. Yeah, she she climbs out of the menu. It's amazing. She she climbs out of the Disney Plus menu and swings into another Disney Plus <laughs> like show that's like a documentary show so that she can get onto Disney lot and go confront the writers in the She-Hulk writers room, which apparently mm -hmm. those were the real She-Hulk writers. <laughs> incredible and, and then, then yeah and then ahead. they say no it's kevin who's in charge of all of this and you, we're all like oh lol kevin fahey <laughs> well she marches into kevin's office and then you get like this even bigger better villain for the whole series oh yeah yeah just this robot and, brain basically yeah it was it was, <laughs> it was just it was so fun and refreshing and if kevin does not show up in um uh secret wars yeah in some regard, <laughs> just as an Easter egg or some sort of, you know, multiverse bending character, mm -hmm. I'm going to be so upset. Well, the, and the only thing that uh, I didn't love about She-Hulk was just my ongoing thing with Smart Hulk, which I didn't love in uh, Endgame either. And I, yeah. I don't know why. I think what Smart Hulk does is ruins the stakes of Banner as a character. And mm -hmm. the whole thing with Bruce Banner is he's constantly fighting back this ability to transform into this monster. And yeah. that's what makes him interesting and fun on top of his intellect. And, you know, uh, Mark Ruffalo's performance is outstanding. But as Smart Hulk, he's a combination. Those of you who don't know, he's a combination. He's like sort of halfway between Banner and Hulk. He can talk. Yeah. He's got intelligence. Uh, he kind of looks like the Hulk, but he's not fully hulked out. Uh, I would have liked it if it had just been Ruffalo 
as Bruce Banner, you know, sort yeah. of mentoring She-Hulk initially, or, you know, and, and with maybe one Hulk out where he freaks out and then She-Hulk has to calm him down or something like that, sort of like what yeah. uh, Black Widow used to have to do, maybe something along those lines. But, I mean, that's just, again, that's a minor, minor nitpick of mine. It certainly doesn't ruin the series. It certainly, I don't despise the character by any means. It's just not, right. not my favorite thing in the Marvel Universe. Did you have a, that issue with She-Hulk being more in control of herself? Because that's the way that's the way She-Hulk's always been in the in the comics. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I understood so what did, right exactly. I understood the origins from the comics. Like this is what She-Hulk is all about. Her stories have this tone, and that's why yeah. I was able to embrace it right off the bat. Okay, well this has got okay. this has got its origins in in terms of how the original creators of the character saw the character evolving and, and portraying herself. So I was totally fine with that. And we did get to see some of the savage She-Hulk in the final yes. episode, which was, again, another one of those great mind-blowing moments because I was, when I was nine, 10 years old, I was obsessed with the Incredible Hulk TV series, oh, yeah. as so many of us were. And yeah, we, so to I see, yeah, to see that reference, the sort of shot by shot recreation of the open from the Incredible Hulk TV series, but with She-Hulk in the place of uh, uh, Bill Bixby and, and Lou Ferrigno was Yeah, they, I mean, and it was like, like you said, it was like that shot on shot for shot recreation and it was so fun. Yes. And you had no idea. I was like, what are they doing now? <laughs> right. And we did get to see what happens when She-Hulk loses control a little bit too, which yes. was kind of fun. And the, the, at the end of the second to last episode in the beginning of the, of the, well, no, she wasn't. She was right back to herself at the beginning of the the finale. <laughs> right. They 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 just jumped right over that real quick. But yeah, but we did get to see her like, and it was so it was so not funny, but like just as like a a point, a dramatic point. It's like she's handled guys jumping her in alleys. She's handled <laughs> all of this stuff, but all of a sudden she's like slut shamed. Yeah. And expose the world. And that is like the one thing that pushes her over the edge and breaks her, which I thought was mm. so, so fascinating, especially coming off the fact. And, you know, you talk about like them, like going after the fanboys and stuff like that. No, oh, yeah. But it's like the entire series, we've known that she was horny the, mm -hmm. the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And she was always looking to get some. And we finally see her hook up with a good guy and yeah. have a good experience with them. And then the next thing you know, she is slut-shamed for that. Mm -hmm. And that's what causes her to break and go over the edge. Yeah, it was revenge know? porn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like, even that aspect of I thought was just was just a, a, an, an interesting little like tag on the series. Like, the, like I think there was like some great commentary on like female characters and roles in that in that tv series and like you know the, the things that women deal with that we kind of take for granted or we don't mm -hmm. really think about a lot of times so yeah. i thought that that was uh, um that was a fun aspect of it and, and also her embracing the fact that like she hulk is a part of who she is well and more of just saying fuck you to the fanboys i you know, any opportunity to do that because those guys need to be marginalized even more so than oh, yeah. they already are i think they're loud i don't think there are that many of them i don't think there's no. like a movement that will change the trajectory of comic book movies based on these assholes so i think more and more saying hey you know what you guys are fringe and we're gonna stop paying attention to you and if we do pay attention to you it's only to say go fuck yourself and yeah, we don't I want to see more anymore. of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, we don't need them to, to, no. to pull off these series anymore because there's enough people who have like, like you said, they fall in love with the characters and they've got to know the characters. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and again, like I said, She-Hulk was just, it was a blast from beginning to end. And, um, 
you know, I can't wait to see where they're going next with it. I wonder, you know, I, I haven't investigated what the fanboys have said about Strange New Worlds, but I assume it's the same sort of thing. Plus, maybe they didn't even notice that there's a distinctive feminine side to Captain Pike. And I think if they did notice, they'd be screaming about it a hell of a lot more. But uh, I, I, my my initial thing with Strange New Worlds that I remember was that like everyone's like, oh, it's another woke Star Trek series. Look, they're le- they're lecturing us in the very first oh, episode yeah, about yeah. how we almost caused the fall down of the United States mm-hmm. and the world. And this is the, you know, so I think that Star Trek has just been like, we're going to, we are a progressive show and we're going to alienate the fans and we're okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. I got into a, Twitter fight with this writer from foxnews.com and coincidentally enough the writer's name is David Marcus <laughs> who is okay. Captain Kirk's son in the Star Trek movies right and yeah and so uh I ended up in a fight with him cuz he wrote this piece where he's like why is Star Trek suddenly woke like where the hell have you been Star Trek has been woke since frame 1 of episode 1 that's yeah. just the way it is, and I don't know why you don't understand that. And that led me to believe that I don't think we have a full grasp on their definition, the Republican definition of woke. I think they think it's something different than what we think it is. Either that or they're just flailing. They're just It's just a shibboleth. It's just a substitute yeah. word for liberal or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. didn't make any sense to me. So I ended up in a back and forth with this asshole and just finally ended up blocking him. Which is where most Twitter debates go, right? As far as I'm concerned, woke means that you're empathetic. Yeah, empathetic, enlightened, accepting, yeah, uh, inclusive. You're, you're, yeah, yeah, you're you're open to things. You're not, you don't shut down right. just because something is different. Absolutely. And I, I the world needs more of that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. You said up. You said it. It's a one thousand percent. In fact, you know what? One of the uh, one of the uh, universes that gets a lot of shit from fanboys is the Star Wars universe. What do you think of Andor so far? Well, we're halfway through. Yep. And uh, I have not seen today's episode yet, so I don't know. But I, I, if everything I've read about the series is still true, we're kind of getting each three episode chunks. Yes. Of Andor's life or casting Andor's life. And, um, you know, the, the, the first three part thing was it was interesting and good and a lot of character development. And I really liked the look and the feel of everything and getting his backstory. Mm-hmm. This second chunk that we just got through, I thought was phenomenal. Yes. I agree I mean, with every word that you just said. We're going into this, like for people who don't, who aren't as familiar with it, we all know star Wars. We all know the rebellion and that, you know, they rose up and they defeated the evil empire. Well, what we're doing is we're going back to like the roots of the rebellion. We're like five mm-hmm. years before star Wars the rebellion is just kind of in its infancy. Like the, the, the empire doesn't even know there's rebellion. They know there are fringe elements out there that aren't working together, you know, but they haven't like connected the dots that, Oh wait, this is like an insurgency against us. Yeah. Right. And, and the first episode, the first, that first three parts, you know, that he's against the empire, but you get, um, uh, um, I'm, Oh my gosh. Skarsgård, Stellan Skarsgård shows up. And basically recruits this like, you know, guy who's basically been running around stealing shit for a while mm-hmm. and just kind of messing with stuff. We don't know really exactly what all his rebel experience is, but you know, he gets he recruits him into a plan to steal the payroll for, you know, a major imperial project. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm assuming that there, that was the payroll for the Death Star. 
construction. Yes. Because it took possibly. them about five years to build the Death Star, as I recall. Yeah. And we're five years before the Death Star is operational. And so to me, it makes sense that this is somehow related to like them fucking with the plans to, to build the Death Star. Right. I think, you know what, that, didn't they start working on the Death Star right about the end of Revenge of the Sith? I mean, there was a, obviously a time jump somewhere in there at the end of Revenge of the Sith, but we see the infrastructure of the Death Star taking shape in that final shot of Vader and the Emperor. But it's entirely possible that, yeah, that's what that is, the payroll for the Death Star. Yeah, um, I you know, I could be completely wrong on that because because um, I've, I've watched the... the the prequel trilogy multiple times at this point, but there's still some parts I just kind of like force out of my mind <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for obvious reasons, I should say, <laughs> but um, so, th cause the, so that takes place. Revenge of the Sith takes place 16 years before star Wars, new hope. Correct. Yes. I actually, you know what, isn't it? Not, I think it's 19 years, something like that. But okay. still same that difference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Luke yeah. Skywalker's 19 years old then. Yeah. Um, and so what we're dealing with is like probably, you know, 14 years or so post revenge of the Sith and Andor. So we're, we're, we're still like, anyways, long story short, like, I just love that. Like we're getting in on this. Like, so we see like the, the, the fighting level, you know, with casting Andor and them going on this mission on this, like this little like backwater planet. But then you're also getting Mon Mothma and you're seeing how the Senate, the Galactic Senate has fallen apart. And yeah. you're seeing the people who are, and how paranoid they are of being found out as a part of the rebellion, mm -hmm. you know, the secrecy that they're going through, like, why do we have a new driver for our car? Yeah. And you know, how do we, you know, she doesn't know who she can trust. And it, it, it so I, I'm, I'm really involved in like that aspect of the story. I think it's so much fun the way they've, they've, they've started building that whole thing out. Yeah. You know? I, once I got used to the idea that it wasn't going to be a typical star Wars series, there wasn't going to be nearly as much fan service in it. In fact, I don't think I've seen a single stormtrooper so far in the entire, we have not seen run a stormtrooper yet. yet. We've, we've heard that stormtroopers exist. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think we've only seen one alien. Yeah. And I was going to say that too. It's mostly a human cast. I mean, yeah. obviously a human cat. They're all humans. But I mean, in terms of the characters, there yeah. are very few alien characters. I think we maybe saw one kind of, what was it, like a Twi'lek or something dancing at that bar in the opening scene of episode one, something like that. But beyond that, it is a very human-centric series. And it takes the whole universe as serious as a heart attack. And I love mm -hmm. that. But uh, it took me an episode or two to fully embrace it. But once I finally did, uh, and once you finally get it and what they're trying to do with it, it's wonderful. And I'm yeah. very much looking forward to getting to the end of this season and then popping in Rogue One and watching that again. Uh, well, remember, there's, there's two seasons of this show. Oh, right, right. They're working on a second season. They're working on a second season of this show. So we're even when we get to the end of this, we're only halfway there. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think watching Rogue One after even after this season will be great. Right. It's funny. I watched Rogue One a few weeks ago for the first time in a long time. Mm -hmm. But it was like post the Obi-Wan series. Yeah. And so I'm kind of like in this sweet spot where it's like I I, I recognize what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm it's like I, I feel like I'm in a good spot with it as far as um Rogue One and Diego Luna's character and where they're going with that. It's just, and it's, um, I, I said to Dylan, I go, to me, it's like, it, it feels like almost like 
they're taking um, Star Trek and do it, treat, giving it a Game of Thrones treatment. Yeah. In the sense of we're, we're spreading the world out a little bit more mm. and we're getting beyond this one family that we've been dealing with for, yeah. you know, six <laughs> movies, nine movies, and we're moving out into the, um, the different players and the financial aspects of it. And those things I, I find really fascinating. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, like this first six episodes have been like, how do you finance a rebellion? <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like for that, for that, it's like, it's, it, it, it feels like they're taking the rebellion really seriously. And I want to ask you this um, just out of curiosity, because I haven't seen like a lot of commentary online as far as the construction of the show or how people are reacting to it across the political spectrum. Mm. But I find it very interesting that we're, we're watching this and we are fully embracing rooting for the rebellion. But at the same time, we've heard them talk about, you know, um, especially in the first three episodes, he referenced, oh, there's this guild and there's that and there's this and there's this. Who are you with? Who are you fighting for? <laughs> you know, against the... So it's like all these... And I was like going, oh, it's like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Proud Boys. Yeah. And and it's like them trying to take... And I'm just... I, I'm curious to see if there's a... I haven't seen it yet, but I don't delve, live in these worlds, how the right is reacting to this because I feel like the right might look at it and be like... Oh yeah, they're the they're the Democrats on Coruscant, and they're the elitists, and they have everything they want. They're just living this life of luxury, and we're out here working in the hard world like Diego Luna, mm-hmm. even though he's an immigrant and a minority, and we can't identify with that. But mm-hmm. you know, we're 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 gonna steal, and we're gonna. You, do you get what I'm saying? Like the insurgency. Oh yeah, yeah. Aspect of the rebellion. I'm just that's that's something that I've been like kind of like looking at through that lens too, which I think is interesting because we're rooting for, you know the people who like would have taken down the Capitol on January 6th in some ways. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, just about any political group or movement can be, I think the underdogs or rebels in, Mm -hmm. uh, in its goals and and its uh, station uh, in, in this case, the galaxy. Uh, But I think what the rebellion seeks to achieve is a return to democracy. Whereas uh, obviously the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys and all these guys, are not seeking <laughs> a greater right. foothold no, for right. democracy. They're seeking, they're actually wanting to have the empire rise. And so mm-hmm. while I think, you know, the Oath Keepers and the Patriot Front and all of these groups maybe will fancy themselves as being rebels and insurgents and all of that shit, even though, you know, we see what they're like and we see how bumbling they are and uh, what they were able to temporarily achieve on January 6th, in spite of all of that, the end game is vastly different than what you would see from uh, Cassian Andor and the Rebellion and Princess Leia and what they all are yeah. seeking to achieve. And so it's kind of reversed from what we're seeing right now. And, oh, yeah. No, yeah. T- totally, yeah. totally. Like I said, I just, I'm just pointing out the fact how we imprint on stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, our, our perspectives. And, I, and I, I'd be curious to see if the, if the right is responding to this show in an inspirational, oh, I see what you're saying. Inspirational sort of way. Yeah, I wouldn't is, be surprised is, if they were. Okay, short break. Back with more Travis right after these words. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, "What's your secret?" 
Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. So let's talk about Rings of Power. I don't know if you've seen uh, much of this so far. I think, what did you say last night? You've seen a couple of episodes so far? I have only seen the first episode. We okay. were um, we were hooked into, um, I know you are not, we are doing House of Dragons. Oh, okay, gotcha. The Game of Thrones uh, uh, prequel. Mm-hmm. And our theory was we've got enough of the elves and swords and dragons <laughs> and magic. Yeah, one at a time is fine. Yeah, Going right now, so we'll save Rings of Power for after um house of dragons ends and i i think that's a i think if, if you're not watching one i think it's a smart way to do it just to watch watch one and then you can go do the other and you know you can see which one you like better Ga- game of thrones i'm not sure if uh, just really quickly i know you're not watching house of dragons i'm enjoying it yeah it's um it, it's definitely like pulled way way back from what game of thrones was and there are oh, things good. about that i like the palace intrigue is fun and like the succession and all of that stuff but um you know it's not it's not reaching what game of thrones was at its peak before game of thrones disappointed us all oh okay i thought you were talking more in terms of uh some of the story elements in game of thrones that were so immensely brutal and just out of nowhere we get brutal in this yeah as well but um but it doesn't I don't know. It's it's. I'm 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 still enjoying it, and I like where it's going. It's it's very crazy because it's like time jumps. Like we've had, yeah. um, we had like a ten year time jump, and now we just had a six year time jump. Wow. Um, and I think from like the beginning of the first, I think from the beginning of the first episode, there was a time jump of like ten years, then another ten year time jump, and then a six year time jump. So we we've, we've we've jumped twenty six years forward in the story. It's interesting because conversely, Rings of Power should have time jumps in it. Because we're talking about a span of thousands of years in which these events take place, but they're not doing the time jumps. They've sort of condensed the story, much like Peter Jackson did with Lord of the Rings, where, God, I think 17 years pass in the book between Bilbo Baggins' birthday and when Frodo finally leaves to go to Mordor. There's a giant span of time there. And so Peter Jackson condensed that. And they're doing the same thing, I think, with Rings of Power to get all of these stories. Plus, you've got human characters that would end up in only one episode because with the time jump, they'd be dead by the time the next episode rolled around. Yeah, who live for, you know, thousands of years. Yeah. But I, I do like the fact that these two shows, while they're in these... I would say somewhat related fantasy universes uh, yeah. where there is crossover. I'm sure George R.R. R. Martin took a lot of influence from uh, Tolkien, but at the same time, I think rings of power, it, it has a different tone 
than Game of Thrones. And I'm so glad that, and this is not necessarily to disparage Game of Thrones. I've got a whole separate series of thoughts on Game of Thrones where I loved it and I hated it at the same time. (laughs) I think a lot of people did. I think everyone can agree with you on that one. Yeah, and my concern was that they were going to take Tolkien and apply a layer of George R.R. Martin on top of that just to appeal to modern fantasy audiences who just kind of piggybacking on the success of Game of Thrones. But I love that it has the guts to kind of own the more earnest universe rather than doing what Star Trek did with Picard, actually, turning it into a sort of a dark, pandering mess. I'm so glad that they didn't do that to the Tolkien lore and have remained relatively faithful to it with some concessions to the format. And that's, you have to do, it's unavoidable. You have to make concessions with storytelling to apply to an episodic TV series. And secondly, it's nearly a perfect setup for the Peter Jackson movies. Um, especially the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, putting the Hobbit aside, that trilogy, which was, I think, expanded beyond the place it should have been. It's sort of like yeah. with, with the Hobbit movies, it was kind of like that metaphor that Bilbo Baggins talks about in Lord of the Rings, where he's like, feels like he's uh, butter spread over too much bread. You know what I mean? That's what, That yeah. was the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, I did not do the Hobbit trilogy. I I I, I watched the first one with a friend, mm-hmm. and it was one of those mornings where I went to see the movie with him after I'd gotten done working on the the show, Stephen yeah. Miller. And I was tired. I don't know. Why I, I was can't even imagine. Day, but I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, in the I don't theater, blame which you. I don't do. Yeah, yeah, I just don't. I don't do that. I fell asleep in the theater watching the first one, and then I tried to watch the second one. I was like, well, what the fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, so the, the the Hobbit ones I did not do, but like the Lord of the Rings trilogies, Dylan and I rewatched them, like the the extended cut versions too. Yeah, right, right. And I and I'm into what they're building in the Rings of Power. Mm-hmm. I I like that expansive world. I like that there is a um, it feels like there is a it's a hopeful world that but there is darkness creeping in around the edges. Yes, absolutely. And, and there's something there, there's something I was observing with the end of season one. And a reveal in the final episode. I'm not going to say what... There were a couple of reveals in the final episode of season one of Rings of Power. One of the reveals was the identity of Sauron. I'm not going to say who Sauron is. Uh, But then there was a second reveal uh, for the stranger, who the stranger is. I guess based on what I said, (laughs) stranger's not Sauron. Uh, Right. But they kind of suggest that the stranger is someone familiar in Tolkien lore. However... I don't think that's the case. I don't think the stranger is who they suggest he is at the end of season one. I think we're going to find out that the stranger is someone that we haven't seen in Tolkien on film yet. I don't think it was a character that we saw in the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit movies. And so I think that's still going to be a surprise when season two rolls around. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to go into any further detail because I know you haven't seen it yet and I don't want to spoil anything. Um, I know that the stranger shows up at the very end of the first episode. Yes. Yes. And that's there's a the, lot that's of the ex- extent of my knowledge about the, uh, about the stranger, but I, but like you said, I, but I like hearing your, your take on it because like I said, I, I am planning on watching, I think game of Thrones ends this week. So I'll need yeah. a new Sunday night fantasy, you know, dragons and magic world to well, go visit. I'll give you my guess as to who the stranger is because this is just speculation because it still hasn't been fully revealed who he is, mm-hmm. even though, as I said, they hinted at who he might be. I think the stranger is either a blue wizard 
And that was, there were five wizards in Middle Earth during the Third Age. There was uh, Gandalf, Sourman, Radagast. And those, we've seen them all in movies. We see it, Gandalf and Sourman, obviously Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, Sourman, and, and uh, The Hobbit. Plus we saw Radagast in The Hobbit. There are two other wizards that we never saw in the movies. And those are known as the Blue Wizards. Very little is known about the Blue Wizards. They live far to the east in the area called Rune, R-H-U-N. And so I think that the stranger is either one of the Blue Wizards or he's Tom Bombadil. And I think my preferred guess for the stranger of those two choices would be Tom Bombadil. I just think it would be so much fun if after all of the garment rending about the Lord of the Rings movies and how Peter Jackson left out Tom Bombadil, that this series brings in Tom Bombadil as a main character. Makes that would be the story. That'd be that'd fun. be fascinating. Yeah, and yeah. you know what? I totally get why Peter Jackson left the character out. He doesn't really move the story along. He really doesn't add anything in the book. And so, in that regard, I wasn't one of the people who was upset about missing Tom Bombadil in the movies. <laughs> I just didn't care. I just didn't care. You know what? Honestly. I like the pacing of the storytelling much more in the films. And I know this is apocryphal. This is horrible to say, but I like the pacing of the storytelling in the films over the book. I've read all the books front to back, the appendices mm -hmm. and all of it. Uh, I know a lot about that universe from reading the books, but there's something that is so long and slow about the pacing of the books and in and of itself, that's fine. But up against the pacing of the movies, which is much better. It, it just, it just pales in comparison. <laughs> it's it's weird. Keep it moving. Yeah. I think I'm going to be haunted by Tolkien's ghost. Now I'm, I'm not supposed to say that <laughs> or a bunch of Tolkien fanboys are going to show up at my door. Um, gonna, as soon as this podcast drops, if they make it this far <laughs> into it, they are going to troll you for it. Yeah. Well, plus a lot of people are guessing that the stranger is Gandalf. Mm -hmm. Just to be clear about that. But here's the thing. Here's why one of the reasons I don't think the stranger is Gandalf because Gandalf doesn't show up until the third age. In fact, Sourman, Gandalf and Radagast don't show up until the third age. So that's why I'm leaning toward the stranger being one of the blue wizards. So we'll Makes see. Sense. We'll see. So that's just my little, little prediction. Um, a little Easter egg that I think you'll appreciate. I, I can't remember which one of my comic books I was reading. It is one of the X-Men books. Just the, the, I want to say this past weekend, maybe, but there was at some point they were joking around one of the characters. It's one of the X-Men books, and I'm not even going to get into how crazy the X-Men books are right now, but one of the characters kept saying, you should see Magneto do his impression of Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, <laughs> which for people who are out there who don't know what I'm talking about, uh -huh. um, it's, it's Ian McKellen plays Gandalf and Magneto. Um, in the in the, the X-Men books and then the um, Lord of the Rings. So just to hear a comic book character referencing saying, oh, you should see Magneto do his Gandalf. It's amazing. That's awesome. I love that sort of <laughs> shit. I was yeah. like, you know what? Nice shout out. Somebody there was just having some fun. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap things up here, Travis, what's the one comic book movie thing? It could be a movie. It could be a TV series that you're looking forward to the most. And you can include some runner-ups. I say one thing, like one main thing, and maybe some additional others if you can think of them. And if you need a second to think about it, I can go ahead and give mine, or you can just jump right in. I'm going I'm to throw three things down at you real quick. Okay. One, because we haven't talked about it. Have you watched Werewolf by Night yet? No. Is that good? That's the new Marvel it's, thing, right? 
it's a it's a one and done one hour Disney Marvel Halloween special event. Interesting. So it's just it's 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 very easy to just go in, watch, and be done with it. It's fun. It's stylistic. It's done kind of like a um, like a like one of the old Universal monster movies. Oh, great! Are there any crossovers it's, in it? Any other characters that appear that are familiar? It's well, it's all black and white. Uh huh. Um, and the only there are no other characters that cross over into it. It's this 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 werewolf character played by uh, Gabriel Garcia. But I'm I'm gonna mess up his name. Um, this actor's been around forever, though. Uh, mm-hmm. Great actor. Um, he plays the Werewolf by Night character, and um, Man Thing shows up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know that character. Shows up in it, and that's pretty much it. And then there's um, in the Easter egg they allude to one other character, and why am I blanking on it right now? Because I'm not gonna say it just to not, just to not spoil. It's, it's an okay. hour. It's easy. It's fun. Um, the villain character is. Um, She's the actress you um she played Frasier's manager on Frasier. Oh, interesting. Character. Okay, yeah, she was you know great. The, yeah, yeah. She's this character actress. She plays like the matriarch villain. Some you know, somehow family. I always uh, confuse that actor who played Frasier's manager with Holland Taylor. I don't know why, but whatever. Very I similar think type character. <laughs> yeah. Very similar like type character. I can't think of her name right now to save my life, but mm. um, but I I I would I would throw out, I would recommend watch Wolf by night. It's just, it's okay. fun. It's got this really kind of campy, like 50s, 60s monster movie feel to it. Yeah. So yeah. it's great. Um, the thing that I am the most looking forward to right now is um, Wakanda forever because oh, that's just yeah. a few weeks away. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's just going to be phenomenal. I cannot wait to see what they do with that. There are so many questions about you know, who is the new Black Panther? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even want to speculate on that. Um, I love that we're bringing in Atlantis with a whole different perspective. So it's not, they're, they're just not even getting anywhere close to what we saw in Aquaman. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I, I am so looking forward to that movie because I think it's going to, um, I think that's going to be like the Marvel movie of the year. Yeah. Hands, one of the few trailers that I actually got a little bit emotional watching just the oh, trailer. Yeah. yeah. How could you not? <laughs> I know. It's I mean that trailer is the trailer. I mean they just they just go for like that that gut punch with Chadwick Boseman and stuff. So I I'm really really looking forward to where that's going. And then um, we got the reveal of the trailer for um, for um, Secret Invasion. Oh yeah, right. That looks phenomenal to me as well. <laughs> right. um, I just I, I think that that's going to be so much fun. Like a cloak and dagger you know, paranoid thriller. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be what we thought Captain America's um, Winter Soldier was going to be like, how that was kind of like aiming as being like the paranoid thriller. Oh yeah. Yeah. Of Marvel movies. I think secret invasion is going to be the one that really, really blows everyone's minds with, um, with where they go with it. Because yeah. it's, um, and just for anyone who's read the comic books and the comic books, it was that the shapeshifter scrolls who we saw in Captain Marvel and we've mm-hmm. seen them in other movies too. Yep. Uh, they basically start replacing um, people on earth, including heroes. Wow. And, yeah. um, and so just the fact that we're going to get a version of that story in the Marvel universe, I am super, super excited about. And then I'll also, I'll just throw out um, daredevil rebirth. Oh yes, because, of course. Because I know you're looking forward to that one, but yeah, um, but secret, but secret invasion um, 
is coming down the pike. And I think that that's going to be a lot of fun. You know what I'm looking forward to most in the uh, Marvel universe? Well, the, the thing I'm looking forward to most overall, I guess the answer to my own question is the Fantastic Four. I'm yes. so thoroughly anticipating, not only because oh, yeah. I love the Fantastic Four, I've always loved the Fantastic Four, and they just haven't been done justice in any cinematic way. And so I'm hoping for that Marvel magic to make it work this time. I'm also looking forward to, just generally speaking, how they end up tying together this whole, um, what are they calling this phase? The, uh, the multiverse, multiverse phase. Yeah, the multiverse saga. Exactly. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how they tie together the multiverse saga because it seems like it's all over the place right now. And I imagine yeah. general audiences are just confused all to hell about what's happening no, in the Marvel I, Universe. I, yeah. And I'm curious if we're going to get something. Because remember like when we watched the first um, phase one of yeah. Marvel's movies, they were we knew they all existed in the same universe, but they were really disconnected from one another. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't until we got the Avengers where they all came together. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of Avengers, um, we have um, the Thanos reveal and we're like, Oh, we're going for infinity gauntlet now. Yes. You know? So it, it, I, I feel like right now we're, 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 even though it's phase four, we're in phase one for mm -hmm. all practical purposes right now. Yeah. And so we're still getting a feel. I, I've heard speculation that things like the Eternals and Moon Knight and even Shang-Chi don't take place in the same Marvel universe as like the Avengers and Endgame and all that stuff. Interesting. I haven't, like, yeah, I haven't think, seen that. Like, if you think about it, there's, there, there are certain characters that just don't, we don't see at all yeah. in those movies. Or um, we saw um, Bruce's smart Hulk at the end of Shang-Chi, mm -hmm. but um, we've seen him as Bruce here going off to Scar you know, not in Hulk form. So it's like, yeah. what, what's going on? You know, who's, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if we're all, if, if we're all operating the same universe, right now, I I which would be like such a, a mind fuck for us to get the reveal that like, Oh, wait a minute. We've been in multiple different universes already. Right. Right. It's really, really exciting. I mean, so for me, yeah. it's the fantastic four. Second is daredevil rebirth. I'm just mm -hmm. all over that series. Keaton's appearance in the Flash movie, uh, also Peacemaker season two, Strange New World yeah. season two, Mandalorian season three, Ahsoka, oh, yeah. Ahsoka season one. I can't wait for that and what where that is going. With, oh yeah, no, all the uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I stuck in the Marvel area right there. I, I, I you know, and, and I was short sighted. I was like the things that are immediately coming because like <laughs> we, there's still so much we don't like. I know. We don't know who the casting is for Fantastic Four. We know nothing about Fantastic Four. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I saw I saw a rumor today that Marvel's developing Wonder Man for TV for the Disney Plus. Interesting. Do you know Wonder Man at all? Not. Oh yeah, yeah, I do. O only vaguely. Um, I've seen little bits and pieces for, about Wonder Man. Yeah. His mind is the imprint for Vision. Oh, and okay. It ends up being a weird love triangle between Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Wonder Man. Oh, that'll be great. And so, so where we left Vision, kind of like as this like non personality synthoid if they use wonder man to, like that would just like that to me would be like oh my gosh that would be so much fun <laughs> yeah oh my god so yeah i know there's 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 all kinds of things that are floating around out there that are that are coming our way and it's 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 a good time to be a nerd right oh god holy shit yeah yeah i mean i don't think we've ever been in this period of time before where there were as many anticipated movies and tv shows I don't think there's yeah. ever been a period of time in the history of modern entertainment going back to the beginning of filmmaking where 
there were so many things. It's just like, uh, even apart from comic book movies, just generally uh, streaming television shows. And you would think with so many things uh, that the budgets would start to show. Like, mm-hmm. there would be lower budgets and maybe more cheaply made things. But everything seems, even the, some of the worst of the streaming shows, everything looks great. And the, I think the yeah. only exception to that is whatever the fuck Rob Zombie's doing with the Munsters. I don't understand that, and I will never... I don't know. Is there something else that he's pegging off of with the Munsters? Is there something that was done already that had that aesthetic that he's just kind of using that as a stepping stone? I I don't know what the hell that is. There was a Munsters pilot at NBC Mm -hmm. a few years ago. We're talking probably like five or six years ago. It may have been even before Dylan and I were dating. Um, and it was Jerry O'Connell, I believe, was Herman Munster. Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> it doesn't make I any know. sense. It, it was like it was, but it was kind of like this like brightly colored like Munsters. And I want to say they may have like actually aired the pilot around Halloween. Interesting. Just it was like they 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 were like, well, we've got this thing in the can. It's a one-off pilot, but you know, we're gonna air it. That's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a, a monsters thing to show around Halloween. Um, so I don't know if that's what he's getting it from. But like you said, like, it, you know, being there, like, I mean, just look at what we've talked about. We've talked about Star Star Trek, you know, at its prime right now. Yeah. Star Wars at firing on all cylinders at their prime. You know, DC's making it work one way or another. Yeah. You know, pressing Marvel's forward. Got so many, yeah. yeah. Marvel's got so many irons in the fire right now with what they're doing. They're firing on all, all over the place as well. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, getting Lord of the Rings, which is like one of the, you know, original, like, you know, properties like this, you know, that we covered like five major genres today. Yeah. They're all doing something really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, four of them are, one of them's trying to figure out what they're doing still. I'm sorry, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I bash on DC. Uh, well, no, that's, that's fine. But, the, and that actually plays into my point. These universes don't have to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's enough variety out there where with Marvel, DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings now, uh, Game of Thrones, that entire universe, there's something for everybody. And if you don't like the DC universe, there's going to be something else for you tonally that yeah. you're going to be able to respond to. And that's why I, I, that's one of the things I appreciate most. And that's, you know what, that's one of the things that, I really embraced, in addition to admiring his filmmaking style, one of the things I embraced about what Zack Snyder did with uh, Man of Steel, BVS, and and Justice League, which is to make it something that was not the same as everything else that we're seeing. And and to kind of make it its own thing, make it stand alone separately. And that's not to say that everyone who loves the Marvel tone needs to love the DC tone and vice versa. These things can coexist just as long as you understand that not everything has to be for you know, you, and I'm not saying you personally, but right. the royal you, not everything has to be for you personally. If the latest Batman standalone movie, The Batman, is not your thing, guess what? There's going to be another Batman movie that's going to come along that may right. exactly suit your tastes. 
So don't worry. This is is all supposed to be fun. It doesn't need to be the source of angst like we see on social media all the time. It doesn't need to be a source of debate and argument and flame wars and all the rest of it. The, The broad stroke attitude that I have with this is, you know, we go through so much hell covering 24-7 the rapid disintegration of American politics <laughs> mm-hmm. that applying that same style of coverage to this thing that we love that's part of our childhoods and part of our adulthoods now in, in many cases, it's supposed to be that sideline. It's supposed to be that distraction. It's supposed to be that thing that you just love, art for art's sake, you mm-hmm. just, you love it. You don't have to justify why you love it or why you hate it. It just is. And I think if we all looked at these movies and this period of time, this golden age for filmmaking and television, uh, I think we'd all be a lot happier. All of the fucking shovel, no need for shovel fights when it comes to this stuff. No, no. And, 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 and bear with me too. Also, when I, like I said, I, 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 you know, I, you know, knock on DC a lot. I'm rooting for DC. Because there are there are so many characters in the DC universe that I just genuinely love and care yeah, about. Yeah. And so I think when I knock on DC, it's because it's like, come on, guys, don't let me down this time. And like I said, mm-hmm. I'm gonna go see Black Adam. Yeah. I've seen every I've seen every DC movie that's been out. Mm-hmm. I, it, it's not like I've skipped any of these movies. It's just like I'm like, come on, I, I need you guys to hit a home run for me. And I feel like they <laughs> they just they haven't hit that home run for me yet. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And I and I really, really I mean, like as much as I love Peacemaker, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I, I I need that. I need I need need them to hit a home run for me. I think it is with Superman. Yeah, I think that's that's what I need. Um, I you know I love I love my Wonder Woman. Um, I, I I I love Batman and Aquaman and all of them, but I need them to hit a home run with Superman. And the Flash is the other character that I really really like in the DC universe. And mm-hmm. you know I. Uh, I've just, I'm prepared to be disappointed by this movie, just the Ezra Miller aspect of it alone. And I'm hoping I can look past it the same way I look past Tom Cruise and Top Gun because I (laughs) had a blast watching Top Gun, but I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, with both DC, from my perspective, with both DC and Star Trek, what I want is I have acknowledged the success of certain properties in each one of those universes, in each one of those sagas. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, and by the way, I, I resist using the word franchise, because I think that's a really cynical term. It's a really cynical business term. I prefer to yeah, refer fair. to these as universes or sagas. <laughs> this is my artistic <laughs> oh, yeah. thing, uh, my artistic nitpick about the language that's used to discuss these things. But regardless, with DC and Star Trek, I'm, I'm satisfied with the successes of Strange New Worlds and the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker and to an extent Shazam, Wonder Woman, Aquaman did fairly well in theaters. I want more success. I want to build on that. I want to see yeah. it move on to the point where we can, as you were saying, we can see some of these other characters and we can see more crossover events like maybe a future Justice League movie. I want to get to that point yeah. without all of these stops and starts and canceled movies and behind the scenes intrigue and all of that bullshit. I want to see mm-hmm. these properties break through that wall. And that's what I'm sincerely hoping, not only for my own selfish reasons, but because, you know, I understand what it's like to be a creative runner on these shows or a writer, uh, an actor. 
And so I want it to be successful for them too. I want to see James Gunn, you know, hit the ball out of the park a few more times with another season of Peacemaker and a, uh, another couple of DC movies. And the same with uh, Star Trek. I want to see Strange New Worlds continue on and on and become the legendary thing that the original series and Next Generation to an extent became also. That's my hope. But I, I'm just, I'm not willing to ruin the experience of following this. And we're, we're both going to be following this, Travis, for the rest of our oh, yeah. days. This is going to continue oh, yeah. on and on. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I just, I want to maintain that in th that childlike enthusiasm, the same kind of enthusiasm I had when I went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark in the theater, or Back to the Future, or Star Wars. I, I want that to continue. I want that. I'm always see like an addict. I'm seeking that, <laughs> that fix. Yeah, you, you want know that, what I mean? that, that feel again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in, in order for that to happen, you hope for your favorite characters, your favorite stories to continue. Yeah, but, or just uh, to, yeah. or, or it's, it's to me, it's not even getting the favorite stories or favorite characters. It's like uh, I want you to get the character right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's I, and that's not easy to do. I still think, and I'm I'm just putting this out there in the universe. I'm willing to volunteer to make a live action Super Friends movie. I'm just saying it could be a TV series. I don't know, but I have an, a concept in my head for how to make that work and for how to not make it silly. TV accurate costumes and the, the the colors and all of it. I want to see that happen someday. I mean, <laughs> you know, I would, I would. Well, they canceled they canceled the Wonder Twins movie too. That, so you know, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> that would have been great. That would have that would have been a great entry point for a Super Friends thing. Oh my God! But, I, uh, I was I was, when they said the the Wonder Twins movie, I was like, oh yes. Because I mean, I, I you you've seen the picture of me and Dylan as the Wonder Twins. Oh yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was a legendary picture. <laughs> So yeah, no yeah. doubt. So yeah, no, I was, I, I, I'm, I'm rooting for all of it. Like you said, it's just, it's, and like you said, it, it is, it, it is good to be in that, that world where we can get these feels and mm -hmm. we can enjoy it. Like the, the one that like the other, I, I've mentioned this in the past, the one that lets me down all the time is transformers. Oh yeah, you know? exactly. That's that like, I, I love my transformers, but mm. man, those movies have been brutal and I've seen all of them. <laughs> wow. I know, I know what you mean. I know exactly. I can say that mean. the last three I did not pay for at least. <laughs> Well, I have to say, Travis, we have to do this more. It's been way too long since the last time I know, time we, we had did too much this. to catch up on today. I'm sorry, we've gone two hours. I know, that's that's fine with me, other than the fact that I desperately have to go to the bathroom now. So, And I've got to start printing off. stuff. Needs to show prep for tomorrow. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you again, my friend, and we'll talk to you again uh, next Tuesday. And I swear, one of these times we do this, we have to bring Jody in, because Jody is also a nerd like us. Oh, and no. it'd be Jody so much and I fun. have these conversations yeah. in the studio. So, yeah. <laughs> no, right. we, had these, we, we had these conversations every Tuesday in studio. So yeah, no, I am very familiar with that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, best to Dylan as well. And one of these days, like Dylan, Lonnie and Kimberly will all sit in the other room while we're having this conversation in here. And they'll all talk about how much we're nerds and how they don't understand oh, what we talk about. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. No, Dylan, it's like, Dylan was like, I'm, Dylan was like, I'm going, I'm going to a friend's house to watch a movie right now. <laughs> so I'm not here for this conversation. All right, my friend. We'll talk to you again next week. All right, week. Bob. Thank you so much. We'll All talk right. to you next week. Bye-bye.